Welcome to NTD News Today. I'm Kevin Hogan. Let's take a look at our top stories. New developments in the Ukraine war. Moscow signs an order to call up 300,000 civilians with military experience. And President Putin hints at Russia's nuclear capabilities. Trump lawyers and government lawyers meet for the first special master hearing. The DOJ doesn't want former President Trump's team to see documents marked classified, while Trump's team says it has a need to know. Some illegal immigrants are suing Governor Ron DeSantis after they were flown to Martha's Vineyard. And President Biden responds to a reporter who asked why migration has increased since he took office. The Justice Department says they've uncovered the largest pandemic fraud scheme so far. Millions were defrauded from a children's food program. Russian President Vladimir Putin called up reservists to fight in Ukraine on Wednesday, signifying a major escalation in the war. Speaking in a rare, televised address, Putin said Moscow would respond with the might of all its vast arsenal if the West pursued what he called its nuclear blackmail over the conflict and made a thinly-veiled threat to use nuclear weapons. If the territorial integrity of our country is threatened, we will, without question, use all the means at our disposal to protect Russia and our people. This is not a bluff. It is Russia's first such mobilization since World War II. Russia's defense minister, Sergei Shegu, said the partial mobilization, which begins immediately, would see 300,000 reservists called up adding that it would apply to those with previous military experience. In his address, Putin said the partial mobilization of two million strong military reservists was to defend Russia and its territories, and that the West did not want peace in Ukraine. Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky said he did not believe the world would allow Putin to use nuclear weapons. Speaking to Germany's Bild TV on Wednesday, he vowed to press on with liberating Ukrainian territory captured by the Russians. The move has been condemned by Western leaders, with Germany's vice-chancellor describing it as an escalation. Speaking to Reuters, Ukrainian presidential adviser Mikhail Podolyak said the Russian mobilization was a predictable step that would prove extremely unpopular. He added it underscored that the war was not going according to Moscow's plan. President Biden just wrapped up an address to the United Nations in New York this morning. He strongly rebuked Russia for invading Ukraine and touted U.S. funding for Ukraine, as well as for global efforts to address health needs, food insecurity and climate policy. He also spoke about deterring the threat of nuclear war and addressed human rights violations by China. He said the U.S. doesn't seek conflict with China, but will promote a free and prosperous world. He concluded the speech with a call for the U.N. to continue working together to promote freedom around the globe. This is Biden's second speech to the United Nations General Assembly. In the evening, the president and the first lady plan to host a reception at the American Museum of Natural History. Leaders of the U.K. and Japan have resolved to work together to counter the threat from communist China. The agreement was reached on the sidelines of the U.N. General Assembly in New York. The U.K.'s new prime minister, Liz Truss, just concluded a meeting with her Japanese counterpart, Fumio Kishida. 
According to a spokesman, she condemned China's provocations towards Taiwan, which are also a threat to Japan's special economic zones. Both leaders agreed to work together in the face of the threat from China. They also agreed that cooperation among democracies is important to tackle both economic and security threats from authoritarian regimes. This was Truss's first U.N. General Assembly session since taking office on September 6th. She also met with French President Emmanuel Macron in New York. And her first talks with President Joe Biden are scheduled for later today. The meeting was postponed last week for the Queen's funeral. And on U.S. foreign affairs, Turkey is expecting to buy 40 F-16 fighter jets from the U.S. The Turkish president says two U.S. senators gave him positive feedback on the potential sale. President Erdogan of Turkey met with Republican Senator Lindsey Graham and Democratic Senators Chris Coons in New York on Monday. Erdogan says the two senators spoke positively about their potential support for the sale. Last October, Turkey requested to buy 40 Lockheed Martin F-16 fighter jets and nearly 80 modernization kits for its existing warplanes from the U.S. But sentiment toward Turkey has turned sour in Congress over the past few years. This is after Turkey acquired Russian-made defense missile systems. In response, the U.S. placed sanctions on Turkey and removed the country from the F-35 fighter jet program. The judge who's supposed to vet materials the FBI seized from Mar-a-Lago says he doesn't want to see records marked classified. NTD's Jessica Beatty has more on his first public hearing since being appointed special master. Lawyers for former President Trump and the Department of Justice met with Special Master Judge Raymond Deary in New York City Tuesday. Judge Deary said he prefers not seeing materials that are marked classified. In his words, if I can make my recommendation to Judge Cannon, right or wrong, without exposing myself or you to that material, I will do it. The U.S. government says it seized about 100 documents marked classified and over 11,000 non-classified materials from Mar-a-Lago in August. The government's trying to shield the documents from Trump's lawyers and Judge Deary, while Trump's team says it wants to see what the FBI took. Trump lawyer James Trusty said they have a need to know, and they cannot fully address the lawsuit without having some access to the materials. Trusty holds a security clearance, but other lawyers on Trump's team don't. Trusty requested expedited clearance for the others so they can also see the documents marked classified, which Trump has said he declassified. The main judge in the case, Eileen Cannon, ordered Judge Deary to review all materials the FBI seized to make sure the government's inventory is accurate, among other things. Deary had a slightly different read of the order saying Cannon asked him to address the classification status of the seized documents. Deary asked Trump's team if they have any evidence to show that Trump declassified the records. Trump's team said they weren't in a position to say he declassified the documents until they can review the records. The DOJ told Deary that Trump's lawyers shouldn't access the documents because some of them are so sensitive. Trump lawyer James Trusty responded, saying he was astounded by the government's position that not even one Trump lawyer should have access to the documents that formed the justification for the FBI's raid. Jessica Beatty, NTD News. Two updates on immigration. Some illegal immigrants are now suing Governor DeSantis after the flights to Martha's Vineyard. And President Biden says he's working with Mexico to stop the flow. Here's more. Some illegal immigrants who were flown to Martha's Vineyard claim they fell victim to a fraudulent and illegal scheme and sued Florida Governor Ron DeSantis on Tuesday. 
The lawsuit says Florida officials look for immigrants outside a shelter in Texas by pretending to offer employment, housing, and more. Officials also allegedly told immigrants that they were heading to Boston, Massachusetts, or Washington, D.C., but right before landing, they were told that they were in fact going to Martha's Vineyard. The class action suit alleges violations of constitutional rights and federal law. They're seeking damages in a ruling that would prohibit officials from taking similar actions in the future. The office of DeSantis responded to the suit calling it a case of activists taking advantage of illegal immigrants who were homeless and hungry. Florida's program gave them a fresh start in a sanctuary state and these individuals opted to take advantage of chartered flights to Massachusetts. DeSantis' office released this signed consent form that stated the signers agreed to be transported to locations outside of Texas in sanctuary states. Republican Senator Mitch McConnell on Tuesday said relocating immigrants isn't illegal and called Democrats' accusations absurd. That would be breaking news because, of course, the Biden administration has been plying and busing illegal immigrants around the country on a regular basis. Meanwhile, President Biden on Tuesday said he's working with Mexican officials to stop the influx when asked why illegal immigration has increased during his administration. On the border, why is the border more overwhelmed under your watch, Mr. President? Because there are three countries that are never have There are fewer, there are fewer immigrants coming from Central America and from Mexico. This is a totally different circumstance. What's on my watch now is Venezuela, Cuba, and Nicaragua. And the ability to send them back to those states is not rational. You could send them back and have them wait. We're working with Mexico and other countries to see if we can stop the flow. But that's the difference. Thank you. The White House also said that the administration received reports that the same plane that transported illegal immigrants to Martha's Vineyard may bring more to the president's home state of Delaware. We have received uh, word of the flights, uh, and uh, yes, we are coordinating closely with state officials uh, and local service providers who are prepared to welcome uh, these families in an orderly manner as they pursue uh, their asylum claims. She added that the administration doesn't know how the White House was alerted to the flights. In other news, the Democrat-controlled House Oversight Committee votes down a GOP effort to investigate President Biden's son, Hunter. Before it was voted down, the proposal asked the president to hand over documents relating to the business dealings of Hunter Biden. It also asked for the same info on other Biden family members, as well as their companies and investments. A Republican on the panel accused the Biden family of using, quote, access to the highest levels of government to enrich themselves. He also said the investigation is needed due to national security implications. But the committee chairwoman said Republicans have misplaced priorities by trying to investigate the Bidens. According to CNN, she claimed GOP lawmakers are obsessed with Hunter Biden. This is likely not the last we'll hear of an investigation, with Republicans hoping to retake the House in the midterms. Other GOP lawmakers in both the House and Senate have also signaled a willingness to probe the Biden family's overseas ties. The Justice Department is charging 47 people for what they say was the biggest pandemic fraud scheme. Those who were charged allegedly stole $250 million from a federal children's food program. Federal prosecutors announced Tuesday that they charged 47 people in Minnesota with conspiracy, wire fraud, money laundering, and other crimes. The Justice Department says the individuals defrauded $250 million from the Department of Agriculture's Child Nutrition Program. In March 2020, early in the pandemic, a small group of people in Minnesota had an idea and saw an opportunity. These individuals believed that they could steal tens of millions of dollars from a federal child nutrition program by claiming to serve food to needy children 
when they were not. Authorities are calling this the largest fraud scheme yet to take advantage of the COVID-19 pandemic. People involved in this scheme allegedly sought reimbursement for 125 million fake meals, and they were soon joined by many others. This is a scheme that begins with Amy Bach and Feeding Our Future. Feeding Our Future is at the core of this fraud, engineering a scheme that included many different groups of defendants. Federal prosecutors say the scheme didn't end until January 2022. And throughout the nearly two years, those 47 individuals used the money to enrich themselves. They used this money that was supposed to be used for feeding children to buy houses in Minnesota, resort property and, and real estate in Kenya and Turkey, luxury cars, commercial property, jewelry, and much more. We have seized property that was purchased with fun funds from the fraud wherever possible, and we continue to find and seize property these defendants purchased with money from the scheme. The Justice Department said the government has so far recovered $50 million in money and property and expects to recover more. Some of the 47 individuals have been arrested and some are expected to plead guilty. More COVID news. The Pentagon confirms it's sticking to its vaccine mandate. This comes days after President Biden proclaimed the pandemic is over and despite lawsuits over religious exemptions. Since last year, the Department of Defense has mandated that all armed service members get the vaccine. While there are medical and religious exemptions to the shot, they are rarely given out, triggering lawsuits and even a warning from the DOD inspector general. The department's press secretary says the vaccine mandate is about warfighting readiness. This echoes previous remarks from Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin. President Biden recently said the pandemic is over, but other officials in the federal government, like the Surgeon General and White House advisor Anthony Fauci, are trying to recast the comments. They say COVID-19 isn't finished. Fauci told Politico that Biden really meant to say that only the most severe stage of the pandemic is over. Republican lawmakers are concerned that the COVID-19 vaccine mandate may lead to the military losing thousands of troops who won't comply. And it comes as the military is facing a significant recruitment crisis. And coming up, the National Transportation Safety Board wants all new vehicles to come equipped with safety features that detect drunk driving and speed. Stay tuned for more right here on NTD News. The National Transportation Safety Board wants all new vehicles to include drunk driving detectors. The board pushed for the new safety measure Tuesday. It would require all new vehicles to include technology that can detect if drivers have been drinking alcohol or are otherwise impaired. The board also wants new vehicles to have speed-related technology that it says could help prevent tens of thousands of fatalities. However, there's no word from the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration about how the measure is progressing, but the group reports that 32 people die of alcohol-related collisions every day, more than 11,000 every year. A Nevada official has been arraigned in a Las Vegas reporter's killing. Clark County Public Administrator Robert Tellis stood in court wearing shackles on Tuesday. He was charged with murder in the September 2nd stabbing death of Las Vegas Review-Journal writer Jeff Gehrman. Gehrman wrote articles critical of Tellus and his managerial conduct prior to a June primary election. Tellus lost the election. A judge scheduled an October 26th hearing of evidence and said Tellus will remain jailed without bail. Clark County District Attorney Steve Wolfson announced he's seeking a court order to remove Tellus from his elected position. 
Tellis is head of the county office that handles assets of people who die without a will or family contacts. Such court action could take several weeks. The judge did not ask Tellis to enter a plea. A Kentucky parole board met Tuesday to decide the fate of a man who killed three people in a 1997 high school shooting. After meeting, the two-member panel was unable to reach a unanimous decision. That means Michael Carneal will remain behind bars for now. A full board meeting will be held September 26 to discuss the decision further. Carneal was sentenced to life in prison after pleading guilty to three counts of murder and other charges. Kentucky law requires that minors be considered for parole after 25 years. Carneal's public defender argued he was suffering from undiagnosed paranoid schizophrenia and struggling with bullying when the shooting occurred. Carneal told the board he was 14 at the time and didn't fully understand the consequences of his actions. The Food and Drug Administration is admitting that it mishandled the baby formula crisis earlier this year. The agency released an internal review report acknowledging a number of shortcomings in dealing with the formula shortage. The review found delays, lack of procedures and limits on the FDA's authority, and the report said going forward, the agency needs more staff, training, and equipment to handle such emergencies. A top FDA official who led the review said if the agency is expected to do more, they'll need more resources. The FDA investigated bacterial contamination in baby formula in January. This resulted in a recall of many popular formula brands and forced the shutdown of a major manufacturing plant. Every subway car in New York City will soon have security cameras, and not just one. New York Governor Kathy Hochul announced yesterday that every car will have at least two cameras. That's more than 11,000 cameras in more than 6,300 subway cars. Officials hope to have all the cameras installed by the end of 2025. The governor says she hopes this will deter crime and make people feel safer while riding. The cameras will supplement the existing network that already includes 10,000 cameras across nearly 500 subway stations. The global supply chain backup continues to hurt the auto industry. Ford says it will end the month with over 40,000 large pickups and SUVs it can't finish because it doesn't have all the parts. The company also noted that shortages and rising prices of supplies will cost it an extra billion dollars this quarter. Ford said it should still be able to hit its full-year earnings targets. That's because it plans to shift the sales revenue it will get from the nearly completed vehicles into the fourth quarter. Automakers have been struggling with supply chain issues, specifically a shortage of computer chips, which has choked off vehicle production for much of the past two years. Over to a massive truck crash on a Florida highway, five semis piled up, and one of them was carrying a lot of Coors Light. There were only minor injuries, but the crash obviously caused a mess. Police say one semi slammed into the back of another early this morning. A third semi stopped behind the crash, and then a fourth along with a pickup. But a fifth semi didn't stop, eventually slamming into another truck that was carrying concrete, sending the concrete and the beer all over the road. Part of the highway had to be shut down to clean all this up. And if you have any news tips or feedback for the show, don't hesitate to email us at news.today at ntd.com. And just ahead, China is restructuring Ecuador's debt, providing over a billion dollars in relief. We hear from an expert on what this means for the Chinese regime and how China's debt practices could lead to more deals with the West. And the Pentagon pushing contractors to move supply chains out of China. This as the number of Chinese companies making the cut increases fivefold. That and more after the break.
Welcome back. More Chinese communication companies are officially deemed a threat to U.S. national security. The Federal Communications Commission added China Unicom and Pacific Network Comnet to the list based on advice from security agencies. This solidifies a previous decision to ban services and equipment from those companies in the U.S. The two companies are subsidiaries of a Chinese state-owned entity. The FCC found in March that they are subject to exploitation, influence, and control by the Chinese regime. The agency says Pacific Network Comnet could give the Chinese Communist Party opportunities to, quote, access, monitor, store, and in some cases disrupt and or misroute U.S. communications. Likewise, the FCC found in 2015 that China Unicom has the capability to listen in on phone calls and track the locations of its users. A U.S. Treasury official is criticizing what he calls China's unconventional debt practices. He says the Chinese regime's deliberate delays on debt relief could burden many low-to-middle-income countries for years. Our next guest is a strategic analyst who sheds light on China's new financial agreement with Ecuador. Joining us now is author and president of the International Strategic Studies Association, Gregory Copley. He's also the editor-in-chief of Defense and Foreign Affairs Publications. Thank you for coming on the show, Gregory. Pleasure to be with you. Ecuador announced on Monday that it has reached a deal with China to restructure its debt. Chinese banks are set to provide about $1.4 billion of relief until 2025. What risks does this pose, and what does it mean for U.S. national security? Well, it's not so much a risk for U.S. national security in itself. Uh, Essentially, Ecuador and many other countries around the world, most other countries around the world, have a high degree of debt with the People's Republic of China. So these countries, by and large, have refused to repay the debt. They haven't been able to do so, particularly in Latin America and Africa, and and in some cases the Middle East and elsewhere. So they have literally forced Beijing to renegotiate the debt. It's not providing new Chinese cash for these countries. It's literally enabling the Chinese banks to attempt to save some of their loan monies, which they've put out to these countries, by renegotiating the debt. So it it, it does give relief to the countries. It does keep the People's Republic of China engaged with those states, such as Ecuador. Uh, And in that respect, yes, it it uh, continues the relationship with, for example, Ecuador and the People's Republic of China, but it it doesn't, if you like, give any increased leverage by Beijing over those countries. In fact, it's a sign of weakness for Beijing at this stage. It lent out all this money under the Belt and Road Initiative, it invested monies uh, in these countries, and it's not getting repaid. That has put Beijing in a dreadful financial predicament. They're only attempting to salvage some of those earlier, uh, often misplaced investments. So what are the results of this if the countries are not able to repay this debt? Well, uh, ultimately, you go into default situations, such as we've seen Argentina do several times over the last 100-plus years. Uh, And that means that the, the lenders or investors are out of pocket. We've seen that happen in Africa on numerous occasions. Often uh, debt renegotiation involves a degree of debt forgiveness. That means that the lenders are out of pocket. So it doesn't help the, the lender countries. And in this case, uh, it's, it's a precarious and 
unenviable position for Beijing to be in. So uh, really, we, we should be looking at this as uh, the PRC attempting to, to claw back some of its misplaced investments. And how will this deal with China affect the U.S.'s relations with Ecuador and other countries that have reached similar agreements? Well, I think a lot of countries are now feeling a degree of bio-remorse in the fact that they accepted uh, these unqualified Chinese loans for dubious projects many, in, on many occasions in the past. So now they'll be a little more cautious. They'll be a little more uh, open, I think, to dealing with the West and Western bankers, uh, knowing that uh, they, they have just had their fingers burned yet again. It doesn't really uh, allow the U.S. to go in, unless the U.S. also wants to lend money and help in uh, relieving the debt burdens of some of these countries. And I don't think that's uh, a wise position for the West to be in uh, at this stage. And the West, in fact, can't afford to be in that position at this stage. Well, thank you for making sense of this very complex international topic. Gregory Copley, International Strategic Studies Association, pleasure speaking with you today. Great pleasure to be with you. The Pentagon pushing contractors to move supply chains out of China. This as the number of Chinese companies making the cut increases fivefold. NTD's Chenny Wu has more. The Pentagon is pushing its contractors to move supply chains out of China. The Defense Department is on the move. It recently started using artificial intelligence to track whether the raw materials and parts that contractors use come from China. That's according to a report from the Wall Street Journal. This comes after the Pentagon stopped acquiring F-35 fighter jets from Lockheed Martin. After it found out that the alloy used for a magnet in the plane were sourced from China. Zooming out, a growing number of Chinese companies have made it into the Pentagon supply base. A report says the number was 655 as of 2019, an over 400% increase from a decade ago. Coming up, Russia moves towards officially annexing occupied regions of Ukraine after a referendum vote. Ukraine and the West denounce the move. Find out more in just a minute. Separatists in Ukraine plan to hold a vote on becoming a part of Russia. Leaders from Ukraine and the West have denounced the move. Here are the details. Officials in parts of Ukraine controlled by Russian forces, including the two breakaway regions, the self-proclaimed Donetsk and Luhansk People's Republics, signaled on Tuesday that they're moving forward with referendum votes that would allow them to be annexed by Russia. And if that happened... Russia's President Putin would essentially be daring the West to risk a direct military confrontation between them, a conflict that U.S. President Biden has previously warned would be World War III. The referendums in Luhansk and Donetsk will start on the 23rd and last five days. The top Putin ally, the former president, Dmitry Medvedev, says he favors the move. If the Russian allied forces here make the areas formally part of Russia, that will be a serious escalation for Moscow against the U.S. and its allies. That's because, according to Medvedev, if the areas become formally part of Russia, 
then anyone attacking the areas is attacking Russia itself, and it's legally entitled to self-defense, an apparent future warning. So far, the West has been careful not to supply Ukraine with weapons that could be used to shell Russian territory. Meanwhile, Ukraine's government says the threat of referendums is, quote, naive blackmail and a sign Russia is running scared and Ukraine's military is continuing to report advances against Russia. A provincial governor has said Ukrainian troops are preparing to retake all of Luhansk. Burger lovers in Kyiv lined up for hours outside newly reopened McDonald's restaurants for a taste of life before the Russian invasion. Three branches in the Ukrainian capital opened for the first time since the invasion began. These restaurants are delivery only for the time being, but some diners got so excited that they waited outside to collect their meals from the couriers lined up next to them. We bought three big tasty menus for the three of us. This is the real deal. This is what I've been waiting for for more than 200 days. What exactly is it? That's happiness, pure happiness. McDonald's closed all its restaurants in Ukraine and Russia in March, though according to the chain, it continued paying more than 10,000 Ukrainian employees. It plans to reopen more branches in Kyiv and western Ukraine in the coming weeks. The interest is already so high that a local delivery service had to stop accepting orders. And over in Russia, the successor to McDonald's restaurant is planning to open for business. This follows McDonald's exit from Russia earlier this year over the invasion of Ukraine. When McDonald's left Russia, they sold all the restaurants they owned. Now, all the 850 locations are operated by a Russian fast food chain known as Tasty and That's It. Tasty and That's It opened in June, and the company's CEO says results have exceeded expectations. The fast food chain wasn't able to serve French fries this summer due to potato shortages, but the CEO says the supply issues have now been resolved. The franchise says it expects to fully reopen all of the restaurants by the end of the year. This comes after the company dealt with supply chain issues and a hefty rebranding job. Police in Germany have searched the property of a Russian businessman. He was accused of money laundering and tax evasion to the tune of $500 million. The man's name is Alisher Uzmanov, a Russian oligarch active in a wide range of business sectors. He was placed on the Western sanctions list after Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Forbes reports his net worth to be about $15 billion. According to the Munich Prosecutor's Office, the police action targeted 24 properties in four German states, including a villa in the southern state of Bavaria. A total of 250 officials were involved. The search also covered the residences of four other suspects. One of them is accused of using companies in other countries to transfer large sums of money. Prosecutors say the money could be related to criminal offenses, including tax evasion. And if you have any news tips or feedback for the show, don't hesitate to email us at news.today at ntd.com. And coming up, we speak to boat dwellers on London's Regent's Canal about how they're escaping the energy crisis. Find out more at NTD News. Good to have you back with us. Spain is fining a food delivery company $78 million. They broke a law by not formally hiring their employees, according to Spain's labor minister. 
In 2021, Spain passed a law that bike riders for food delivery platforms must be employees with formal contracts, not freelancers. But Delivery Heroes Glovo has refused to give labor contracts to more than 10,000 riders. This is in the country's second and third largest cities, Barcelona and Valencia. A representative for Glovo was not immediately available for comment. With a way of life that's inherently off-grid, boaters aren't facing the same energy bills as those who live on land. NTD's Jane Whirl got some insight into the boat-dwelling community on London's Regent's Canal. Living on this London waterway is a community that often goes unnoticed. Many of those here have been driven off the land to live in a boat, in part due to rising rents. I wanted to live in central London. I didn't want to pay rent or a mortgage. Um, I wanted a dog and I was living in a situation where I couldn't have a dog. Um, so yeah, a couple of things. And I quite like moving. I've always lived, I've always moved around kind of once a year when I've lived in London. So um, boat life kind of suits me to move around a lot. Life on the water is typically off grid. So many boat dwellers are less impacted by rising energy bills. Co-founder of a floating bookshop, Word on the Water, says he thinks boaters will be able to weather the changes happening in the energy market. All the time I've been on boats, certainly for the last decade, solar panels are sort of standard, really. If you don't have your electricity running on solar panels and 12-volt electrics and you live on a boat, you're a bit of an idiot because once you've got that infrastructure in place and it's not very expensive, you sort of don't have to think about electrics. Apart from for two months of the year when there's almost no sun, sort of December, January, um, for the rest of the year, your electricity is free. The conversation in this country doesn't seem to be about ways of weathering uh, by using, weathering this crisis by using alternative sources of power. It's all about, oh, will the government give everyone a bit of money towards their gas bills as a way of solving it? Most boats run on smokeless fuel, which has gone up in price. Gas has gone up, but the gas bottles last a long time, so the impact isn't noticeable. Kerry from Middlesbrough is studying music in London. She moved on to a houseboat in April to save on finances and for the way of life. You're not stressing about bills and finances. There's no council tax to pay. There's, you know, you see gas outgoings, but that's not much compared to heating a house and stove for heating. And yeah, it's just a completely different way of life, but I love it. I feel like I've found my home for the first time. For my cooking, uh, at the moment, I use a 38-pound um, bottle of gas, which has lasted me the whole time that I've been on the boat and still not run out. So at the moment, it's kind of like, yeah, it's cost me 40 quid since I've moved on there to cook. Boaters can get a permanent mooring or a licence to continually cruise, which means they have to move their boat to a new location every two weeks. There's almost 35,000 boats across 2,000 miles of canals and rivers across England and Wales. That's according to the latest figures from the Canal and River Trust. Around 21% are described as a permanent home and 19% of these are continuous cruisers. Boating life isn't for everyone, though. It can get rocky. I can feel myself swaying a little bit. Um, is that something you get used to? Yeah, uh, honestly, when I first moved onto the boat, it was it was a major adaption to make, um, and I was swaying everywhere I went for a while. It was very, very surreal, uh, quite vertigo-like. Um, but after a couple of weeks, um, yeah, I've been absolutely fine since, and I don't get the sea legs anymore. But when my friends come and visit, you know, you, you can see them wobbling from side to side again. So it's funny, but it's something that you must just adapt to as you uh, as you come. Thankfully, you adapt because if I was stuck like that for life, then it would be very nice but yeah it's um it's part and parcel of boat life unfortunately <laughs> for water supplies there are taps along the canal to stock up how about the water how does that work uh so most boats there's taps along the whole canal system where you kind of as you're moving you kind of pull up and you 
plug a hose in and fill up the tank that way. Um, I've actually got a water filtration system, so I yeah I filter water directly from the canal. So uh, yeah, so that's kind of easy for me as well. It's pretty off grid. Wow. Yeah, yeah, no, it's cool. Never it's great. That. Everyone's always like, do you drink it? I'm like, I don't drink it, but it's fine to use for kind of showering, etc. A life off-grid that harks back to the past. Electricity is a relatively modern invention. There were there were shops and pubs and restaurants and homes for thousands and thousands of years before electricity was even thought of. My grandparents didn't have electricity, they ran a shop. Um, and lived in a home. The boating community is in a furious conversation with itself, really, about what the best way to move forward is. Electric engines for boats are quite expensive, but achievable. Um, however, transforming a diesel engine on a boat into a boat that runs on the waste products from cooking oil is very easy to do, and I think there might be a lot of that happening in the next few years. Um, but it's very much a living debate. It's an old, traditional form of living that's very keen to be a sort of futuristic modern way of living as well. It's a form of living that will no doubt be on these waterways for many years to come. Jane Worrell, NTD News, London. And just ahead, tennis star Roger Federer arrives in London to play in his final tournament alongside his rivals. The 41-year-old champ recently announced his retirement. We'll have all that and more for you right here on NTD News. A pod of about 230 whales is stranded in the Australian state of Tasmania. Marine conservation experts headed over to help, but officials say only half appear to be alive. The whales look like pilot whales. They're stranded on Ocean Beach and on a sand flat inside Macquarie Harbor. Tasmania Parks and Wildlife Service said, quote, early reports estimate that about half of the animals are alive. They added that experts will figure out an appropriate plan after they assess the situation. They also advised the public that volunteers are not needed for the moment. In 2020, Tasmania saw another mass stranding of whales. That was biggest stranding event recorded in the island state with over 450 whales involved. And over in Israel, a chance discovery has unearthed an archaeological treasure, a burial cave that laid undisturbed for over 3,000 years. It was an intact burial cave dating to the time of the Egyptian pharaoh Ramesses II around 3,300 years ago. A mechanical digger working on a popular beach in Israel discovered it by accident last week. In the cave, archaeologists found intact pottery and bronze artifacts. There were 10 pottery vessels of different sizes, including bowls, cooking pots, storage jars, and lamps. They were arranged for a burial ceremony that took place over 3,000 years ago. Experts say the findings show that the people who lived there had contact with population centers from across the eastern Mediterranean. The Western Wall in Jerusalem is being cleaned. A team equipped with long sticks pull out written prayers that visitors cram into crevices. Twice a year, the rabbi of the Western Wall oversees the collection of thousands of notes to ensure there's always room for more. The papers are then buried on Jerusalem's Mount of Olives in accordance with a ritual. The Western Wall is a remnant of the compound of the Second Temple that was destroyed in 70 AD. It stands today beneath a religious plaza known to Muslims as the Noble Sanctuary and to Jews as the Temple Mount. 
Low testosterone can leave men feeling down and tired, but a healthy diet and exercise can do much to keep testosterone levels from dropping. Here's Gina Marie with Strong Mind and Body. It's possible you don't have the energy or mood you used to. There can be several reasons, but one may have to do with dropping testosterone. Testosterone is a hormone found in all humans. However, it plays a far more prominent role in men than women. It plays a role in bone and muscle mass, fat storage and red blood cell production. It may also affect a man's mood. Testosterone typically peaks in a man's 20s or early 30s before it starts tapering off slowly over time. But everyone's baseline testosterone level is different. Some men are born with a lot of testosterone while others are born with less. Normal testosterone can be anywhere from 280 to 1100 nanograms per deciliter, which is a huge range. So somebody who has low testosterone may create some of the following symptoms. Less energy, weight gain, depressed feelings, mood fluctuations, low self-esteem, less body hair, thinner bones and muscle loss. You'll only learn if you have low testosterone through blood tests. Another point to note is that you'll only understand the rate it's dropping with several tests used to track changes over time. So what can you do about it? There are a few things that may halt testosterone loss or at least slow it. Diet and exercise can both play a role in levels. Weight training is associated with higher testosterone and so is eating a nutrient-rich diet that is low in processed food. Fruits, veggies, nuts, lean proteins, legumes, etc. is the way to go. Managing weight may also help. Testosterone replacement therapy or TRT is a procedure that can help as well. It is still under study but talk to your doctor if you believe low testosterone levels are affecting your quality of life. Tennis champion Roger Federer arrives in London ahead of the final tournament of his career. After flying in, he said that he's happy to be there, but he's feeling the pressure of it being his last tournament. And while I'm thinking about it, I know it's going to be highly emotional. Last moment here at practice there, seeing Rafa, seeing Novak, seeing Murray, seeing the team, uh, seeing Borg, seeing McEnroe. I don't know, it just uh, it works me. So I'm, I feel still a little bit stressed and... Uh, but I'm happy I'm here. The 41-year-old has won 20 Grand Slam singles titles and redefined the sport with his artistry and grace. The Swiss tennis legend broke the news of his retirement to tennis fans across the world in a lengthy statement last week. His final tournament sees him play alongside three of his greatest rivals as they get ready to join forces for Team Europe in the Labor Cup. At the San Diego Zoo Safari Park, a six-week-old southern white rhino has been named Neville. The baby rhino was born on August 6th. He now has enough stamina and bulk to explore the two-acre main habitat. He has been seen splashing around and rolling in mud. Rhinos coat themselves with a layer of mud that acts as sunscreen and bug repellent. It also keeps them cool. Neville currently weighs 250 pounds and can grow to be as heavy as 5,000 pounds at around three years of age. And every branch of the U.S. military has its own official song. And now the newest branch, the U.S. Space Force, created in 2019, has one too. It was unveiled at a conference in Maryland Tuesday. Take a listen to Semper Supra.
Semper Supra was written and composed by a former member of the U.S. Air Force and a former member of the U.S. Coast Guard. That's all for today's program. We're really glad to have you with us. Please send us an email if you'd like to tell us something. We're going to put it on screen. For podcasters, that's news.today at ntd.com. I'm Kevin Hogan, NTD News, New York City.